0: The sermon text for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and um, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached on this. I've heard it a lot at weddings. Uh, It's known as the love chapter in Scripture and is commonly used at weddings, and in fact, it was used in my and Edie's wedding uh, quite a few years ago. We weren't Christians at the time, uh, but we knew it dealt with love, we knew it was used in weddings, and our pastor at the time recommended it. It sounded good when it was loving, and so he said, great. Uh, but 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, and in chapter 13, he talks about biblical or sacrificial love. And specifically, he's talking about the love in the context of using spiritual gifts in worship at the Corinthian church. Because this chapter is about biblical love and not romantic love, it doesn't mean that it can't or shouldn't be used at weddings because it does talk about the attributes of love and how Christians should love one another, which includes men and women getting married. But it does mean that we should understand this chapter first from the perspective of worship and in the context of spiritual gifts and corporate worship. So before we begin, let us pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth would be honoring and glorifying of you that you would use these words to encourage all of us where we are in our daily walk with you, and that you would help us to hear what you would teach us from today's message. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. So feel free to turn uh, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as I read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul wrote to the Corinthians because there were problems in the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so two chapters prior, he writes about Christian freedom in matters that do not compromise the glory of God. That is, he writes about having restraint in the exercise of our Christian liberty. Paul exhorts the Corinthians in their freedom to be imitators of Christ by following Jesus' sacrificial love. Then in chapter 12, he turns his attention to the use of spiritual gifts in worship because the Corinthians were being showy and therefore distracting with their displays of spiritual gifts. He corrects the Corinthians in their selfishness by reminding them that they are but one part of a larger system, the church, the body of Christ, and that the church needs to work together to function properly. And Paul does this by comparing the gifts of the spirit to parts of our body. Now, lest you think um, we're going to talk about three chapters today, we're not going to go into chapters 11 and 12. But I wanted to set the stage for today's message because Paul concludes chapter 12 by encouraging the Corinthians to earnestly desire the higher gifts and to strive for unity in the body of Christ. He then adds at the end of chapter 12, and I will show you a still more excellent way, which is the setup and lead in to chapter 13 on love which is about love over gifts and in how to use our gifts in love to bring unity. So as we dig into what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, his exhortations may seem impossible to live out in our fallen state. And that is correct. It is impossible. We need a Lord and Redeemer to save us from our sins. And by God's grace, we have that in Jesus. So this message is meant as an encouragement as we love one another and as we love our Lord. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about biblical love, which is a love that does not change. It is the love that God has for his people. It is giving, not expecting anything in return. It is self-denial. It loves even when rejected, as God does for his people, most notably, as Jesus loved us and died for us while we were still sinners. Biblical love is the work of the gospel. It is love in action. It is a fruit of our gifts and through the Holy Spirit's empowering and sanctification, it will grow as we mature. Maybe slower than we like, but it will grow. There is a brief outline in your bulletin containing three main points that we are going to look at. Uh, The primacy of love, the properties of love, and the permanence of love. I'm sure you noticed that they all began with P. And I want you to know that I worked really hard, really hard on that alliteration. So hopefully easy to remember. So the primacy of love. Our scripture text for today shows that biblical love is greater than the gifts that Paul previously talked about in 1 Corinthians. It is primary. It is preeminent. It is superior to spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts can be powerful, perhaps even cool, to use a modern term. But without restraint or self-control, spiritual gifts can be used in ways that don't express the love of Christ. This notion of biblical love was obviously not new with Christ. Because we read in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19.18 that Brian read earlier, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, biblical love. Then in the New Testament, Mark 12, which Brian also read, records Jesus' words when asked by the scribes which commandment is most important. Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. To Jesus, these commandments were two sides of the same coin. They are inseparable, incomplete without each other. While showing love to God is mentioned first, we cannot stop there. And while showing love to our neighbor is mentioned second, we can't just jump there. We must first love God and then our neighbor. It's one complete thought, inseparable. But while sacrificial biblical love wasn't a new idea, loving one another as Christ loved his disciples was new. For here we have the incarnate God dwelling with his disciples, working with them, ministering with them, living with them, teaching them, revealing to them that he was God and showing them biblical love. So let's begin by looking at the first section of chapter 13, where Paul tells us that things not done in love Are meaningless verse 1 reads if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal what symbolism we have here there are many interpretations on tongues and in the Reformed tradition we generally generally believe it to mean speaking multiple languages Verse 1 is therefore saying, if we speak multiple languages, perhaps speak all languages, we speak with eloquence, with the correct pronunciation, such that people don't realize it's not our native tongue, or if we speak the angel, the, the language of angels, which are superior to human language, then if this is not done in love, we are just making noise. If we can speak with anyone, even angels, but have not love, I sound like a clanging symbol Are noise, not music. Verse 2 says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul doesn't say we are lame or we are clueless or pompous. If our goal is to have awesome powers, understanding, knowledge, or faith, he says, We are nothing if love is not our motive. Now, having prophetic powers could mean different things. The word prophecy, as used by Paul, generally refers to speech that reports something that God brings to mind or reveals to the speaker. Therefore, it can contain mistakes, and we must test and evaluate. A second view of this gift, though not in Reformed churches today, is that it involves speaking the very words of God with equal authority to the Old Testament prophets and equal to the word of Scripture. A third view is that it is very similar in meaning to the gifts of preaching or teaching. Regardless of the view, prophecy is used to build up, encourage, and comfort the gathered community and to reveal the heart of unbelievers and lead them to worship God. Because God uses this gift to build up the Christian community, Paul urged the Christians to value it highly. Paul also talks about having all faith. Faith so strong it could remove mountains. Now, that's a type of faith that I can't relate to, but it would be pretty strong. But if we have prophecy, knowledge, understanding mysteries, and all faith, and all these are great things, but have not love, then we are nothing. Note that it is nothing, but we are. It's not we, it is nothing. It is we are nothing with these gifts apart from love. Now, this doesn't mean that we should not pursue faith, knowledge, preaching, but if we pursue them without biblical love, then our pursuit is worth nothing. Without love, we become puffed up, arrogant, out of touch, and condescending to others. In the Reformed Church, we likely don't struggle with obtaining prophetic power, as some mean it, but we certainly may have our favorite preacher, and we often judge other preachers based on their eloquence or charisma, but are quick to judge the gift but Paul is saying look at the heart continuing verse 3 says if i give all i have and if i deliver up my body to be burned some translations say death but have not love i gain nothing renouncing all we have including our lives for the lord gains us nothing if not done without love if if done without love Giving all that I have to the poor, being a martyr for Christ, if not done in love, gains me nothing. Now, both of these examples are pretty extreme acts of sacrifice, but it applies to smaller acts of sacrifice as well. All our giving, if done under compulsion or with regret or hesitation, all our sacrifices not done in love gain us nothing. So, how do we know if what we're doing is done in love? Well, no one knows but God, our true motives. So we must assess our hearts, pray, read and study the Bible, be part of a local church. But we need to be honest as we look at our hearts because our hearts can be self-deceptive. Like the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about the heart behind murder is hate and the heart behind adultery is lust. It is our sinful heart desires that betray us even if not acted upon. Now, the good news is that we need look no further than our loving Savior, Jesus, and his death upon the cross for our sins to redeem our impure motives. The way he lived out his life of love to his disciples is an example for us. Not that we can, in our own strength, be like Jesus, but with the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we can, in God's strength, be transformed into his image, day by day, thought by thought. The last comment on these first three verses is that to really love someone, we need to know them. And to know them, we need to spend time with them. How do we do that? Well, think of Jesus and his disciples. He talked with them, he worked with them, he ate with them, he lived with them. They ministered together. So we too ought to talk with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to them, pray with them, share burdens, concerns, invite them over or invite them out, share a meal, be involved in small group, etc. And many of us, many of you already do that. Uh, if not, I'd suggest schedules permitting, stick around after church for a few minutes and talk to someone you don't know or don't know well. Consider joining a small group, consider sharing a meal. In essence, because love is primary, We need to use our gifts in love as we love one another. So the first point, uh, the primacy of love, talks about its preeminence. Let's now look at the properties of love or the attributes. Uh, The second paragraph of chapter 13, which covers verses 4 through 7, is where Paul describes, describes what love is and is not. These four verses are typically typically the focus at weddings. So as we look at verses 4 through 7, keep in mind that the first three verses of this chapter told us that things done without love are nothing. These next four verses will show us what love does and what love does not look like. Verse 4 starts with two things that love is. Love is patient and kind. Another word for patience is long-suffering and in and of itself is descriptive. To be long of something is to have a lot of it. To say that love is long-suffering is to say that we need a lot of it in order to endure a fallen world and to bear with one another. To be patient is to be forgiving, understanding, to not jump to conclusions. God is so patient with his people And he is slow to anger. In the midst of our sin, God is long-suffering. That is, he suffers with us while he is patient. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my struggles is patience. Uh, Those of you that don't know me, that may be a surprise. I don't know. But the irony is that while I can be impatient, I expect others to be patient with me. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's sin, right? Love is patient, but love is also kind, showing mercy rather than wrath. Sure, I can be kind, but often my first instinct is to think of myself as opposed to being others-minded. Kindness is what God shows his people, revealed through Christ. His mercy is kind as he shows us undeserved favor, undeserved grace. Love is expressed through simple acts of kindness. It is the emptying of oneself for another person. Next, Paul continues with eight things that love is not. Eight things love is not. Love does not envy. Envy is wanting or desiring something that is not ours or wanting to be somebody else. Envy leads to a multitude of other sins. Envy led to Cain murdering Abel in Genesis 4 because he wanted God's favor. Envy led to Joseph's brother selling him into slavery in Genesis 37 because they wanted their father's favor. The Pharisees and religious leaders were envious of Jesus. They wanted the favor of the people and knew they would lose their control if the people continued to follow Jesus. So they murdered him out of envy. Love does not boast. Boasting is thinking that I am better because I have more or am more capable or am better. Boasting is drawing attention to ourselves, our accomplishments, our possessions, our intelligence, our leadership, our position, our wealth, or our relative position in the cultural pecking order. But Jesus was God incarnate. Yet he did not declare his deity until the end of his life. He did not boast in his status as a son of God. He was humble and lived a life of humility. He served his disciples and he gave himself up for death for our sake. Next, love is not arrogant. When we boast, we are showing our underlying arrogance. In the church, this would be spiritual pride, how knowledgeable we are in doctrine, how we pray more or better, serve more or better. Do we think we have a superior understanding of doctrine and look down on those we feel are less knowledgeable? Ironically, uh, every denomination that I've been a part of, uh, I've thought, now this is correct theology. And I felt I had a superior understanding. Our challenge is that it is so easy for us to spot pride or boasting in others. But the heart is deceitful above all else, and our pride makes it difficult to see the arrogance in our own lives, which is why we need each other. We need each other to lovingly hold us accountable, encourage, and exhort, because love is not to be arrogant. Love is not rude. But that doesn't mean we are called to be nice. The opposite of rude is kindness, not necessarily niceness. Being kind, thoughtful of others and how they feel ought to be the Christians modus operandi. A peeve of mine is when my children used to say that someone was nice. And my question to them, which they got tired of, was often something like, Well, what does that mean? Or why do you why do you say that? To me, nice is super or is superficial, it's surface level. It's but but kindness is deeper. It's about our character. Who we are on the inside, I can fake nice, can be a facade, but true kindness can't be faked. It is a heart posture. So love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not rigid or inflexible by saying, my way or the highway. It looks out for the interests of other, as in Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Are we difficult, prickly, wanting everything just so, demanding our way, and then being critical when we don't get things the way we want, or are we deferential to others and given to yielding our way to other uh, to others? Are we understanding? Additionally, are we concerned with the welfare of others over and above ourselves? Now, it doesn't mean that we can defer without end, right? We need leaders. Someone has to make a decision. But do you always find that you're getting your own way? Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable, or some translations say it does not keep account of wrongdoing. In other words, it does not keep track. It does not maintain a record of wrongs or remember or remind others of their failings. It is forgetful in the good sense of the word. Love is not resentful. Love wants the best for others, assumes the best in others, does not remember the wrongs or shortcomings of others, as opposed to saying, that person is no good or he got what he deserved. Do we judge others, lash out, hold grudges? Perhaps we specialize in giving the silent treatment. But we are not to be resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love hurts when others are wronged. It does not rejoice at injustice. Do you rejoice when their enemy gets their due? It's easy to see examples of corrupt politicians or today even in any profession, but do you rejoice in their humiliation? It's okay to be glad if they got caught for their wrongdoings and pray that they might turn to God, but to celebrate someone else's sufferings, regardless of how much we think they deserve it, is not what we're called to do. Remember, Christ called, told us to love our enemies. Next, Paul changes course and talks about more things that love is. Love rejoices with the truth. In other words, love wants to rejoice with each other because of our Lord. Jesus Christ is the truth, and he has revealed that to us. Also, love does not get angry at someone for their sin, but rejoices. That darkness has been brought into the light. It says, I'm glad that person's sin was brought into the light so that healing and growth and restoration can occur. Verse 7 continues with four more things that love is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love bears with people in their weaknesses. To bear with someone is is to endure with them, to, to bear with them even though they sin. And we all sin. Love believes the best in people. Love gives us confident hope in our future because of Jesus. This is not some Pollyannish naivete. Instead, it's remembering that whatever our circumstances, we have the hope of eternal life with Christ. And love perseveres. It endures. It keeps on keeping on. There is no expiration on bearing, believing, and hoping all things. Christ endured all things. He endured the sins of the world for each and every one of us who are his followers. So to wrap up these four verses, let's reread verse 4 through 7, substituting Jesus for the word love. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Pretty powerful, huh? So spiritual giftedness is not the measure of our maturity. However, the showing and living our lives full of love for God and for one another is. Okay, now let's turn to the last six verses, 8 through 13. And if you're thinking, uh, he's only halfway done? Well, don't worry. This section goes quicker. So recall that we first looked at the primacy of love. That is, things not done in love are worth nothing. Then we looked at the properties of love, where Paul showed us its attributes, what it is and what it is not. Lastly, we're going to look at the permanence of love. Where Paul contrasts the permanent nature of love versus the transitory nature of gifts. Verse 8 says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love is eternal like our Lord. It will endure. In the first three verses of this chapter, Paul tells the Corinthians that using spiritual gifts without love is no gain to them. And here in verse 8, he continues by now saying, tongues, Prophecy and knowledge will pass away. They are not eternal. Verses 9 through 10 say, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Paul is essentially restating the prior verse that knowledge and prophecy, at least as done by people or as we in our fallenness are capable of, are Partial. When the perfect comes, that is, when Jesus comes, the partial things will pass away and we will know as perfect as we can. Prophecies, tongues, and knowledge of God won't be needed in heaven because we'll be with Him face to face. Verse 11 continues When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Paul is taking to task the Corinthians for being childlike in their use of gifts in their haughty, flaunting displays. And he's using the analogy of children to emphasize the growth that needs to happen there as growth that we need to mature in our use of gifts as we love one another. Verse 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. At present, we see God as revealed in scriptures, in nature and through Jesus. But there is so much more that we don't know. Or we see, but don't see clearly. And while we can know him and know about him, we can't fully know God, given our limited capacity and finiteness. It's part of our human nature. Further, we can't now fully comprehend God's magnificence, his omnipotence, his holiness, his limitlessness with our human minds marred by sin. But God knows us fully. He has complete knowledge of his creation. He sent his son to die for us. And Jesus knows us. In heaven, we will know God as completely or perfectly as we can, but for now, this is in part, it is incomplete. The last verse, 13, begins. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. So it says, for now, while we're here, faith, hope, and love remain, they abide. From chapter 11, arguments over Christian liberty won't remain when we're in heaven. From chapter 12, arguments over spiritual gifts won't remain when we're in heaven, but love will. In our pursuits on earth, we are to seek faith, hope, and love, not miracles, power, and gifts. Let me say that again. In our pursuits on earth, we are to seek faith, hope, and love, not miracles, power, and gifts. While the gifts of the Spirit are precious, good gifts From our gracious Father, they are not to be our focus while on earth. Rather, faith, hope, and love are to be our focus. Verse 13 concludes with, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest because God is love. And like God, love is eternal. It will continue forever. To know God is to love. For now, faith, hope, and love will abide. But in heaven, we won't need faith in God as we will see him face to face. We have now, and we have hope now. But again, we won't need hope in eternal life when we are with our Lord. But for now, faith, hope, and love continue and should inform our views of spiritual gifts. Love flows from God to us. He gives us faith in Christ. He gives us hope in him because of Christ. And he gives us the love of God. In chapter 15, two chapters later uh, of the letter of, of 1 Corinthians, in verses 51 through 52, Paul tells them, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. In other words, in the blink of an eye, the Lord will appear and a new heaven and a new earth will be established and love will be the greatest thing that endures. So as as I conclude, one last example. Think of a grand outdoor Christmas light display with multiple strands of lights around trees, life-sized animatronic decorations, giant inflatables, lights around every window, the entire house outlined. Okay, you have that picture? I'm sure you've seen a house like that or two. Maybe maybe you do that. Okay, now picture it dark without electricity. What's there? Well, effectively, nothing, right? Because we can't see it. Electricity is the force needed to see the lights or for it to be effective, or more to the sermon point, You need electricity for the display to be meaningful. Without love, the spiritual gifts that Paul describes are like that unplugged Christmas display. They are nothing. They may be there, but if not used in love, they are ineffective. We have a loving God that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, who lived a life we couldn't live, died a death he didn't deserve, paid the penalty for our sins, rose from the dead, and defeated death and one day we will join him in heaven where we will love God and others perfectly as we were originally created to do. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 can be a bit overwhelming as we have been exhorted over and over to love in a perfect way the way of God. In our failings, it is comforting to know that we have a great high priest interceding on our behalf who has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to draw us to the Father and transform us into the image of Christ. As Christ showed us on the cross, love is sacrificial. He also showed us that love never seeks its own way. It always prefers the welfare of others to its own advantage. Does this love of Christ dwell in our hearts? Imagine how the world might be changed if the world knew Christians Not by our politics, not by our stand on social issues, but rather from our love. Are we willing to lay aside selfish things and pursuits? I pray that we would see our motives and evaluate whether we are doing things in love. Are we showing love? Are we prayerfully seeking love above all else? Spiritual gifts without love are worthless. Paul exhorted the Corinthians to prefer love over spiritual gifts. Paul reminds us that love is supreme because it lasts forever. Love is clear proof of the Holy Spirit's regeneration in our lives. Love is at odds with selfishness. And finally, love is the greatest because it originates with God. It is an attribute of God and allows us to one day be with God because of Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection. As 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So let us love and know God and in turn love and know others as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. For the greatest of these is love. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you uh, that you value us, that you love us that you know us, that you care for us. We thank you that you have made things right because of Christ's perfect life, his undeserved death and resurrection. Let us be mindful of our actions and the motives behind them. Help us to do all things in love and let love prevail in our hearts and in our actions to each other as we glorify you to a world that needs to know of your love and your good news.